Hey, welcome to the Sunshine Boys podcast. I'm Jim Williams, along with the Sunshine Boys themselves. That would, of course, be Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson. And gentlemen, last night in beautiful Charlotte, North Carolina, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers came away with a Monday night victory in prime time, and it was uh, it was exciting and entertaining. Your comments. You know, they got a lot of help, Joe, but I don't want to take anything away from uh, a, a division win on the road because, Joe, the Panthers were desperate. They were as desperate as the Bucks, maybe even more so because expectations are higher in Charlotte for the defending uh, NFC cha- uh, champs. Uh, you know, Carolina missed a field goal, Joe. Four giveaways, including a drop on a, on a punt return. Uh, plenty of help along the way. But, Joe, when the Bucks had to make plays in crunch time, they made them. And we're not used to that around here. Uh, and I also want to give it up a little bit for Dirk Cutter. At the beginning, Jim, they set the tone because Carolina is known for physicality, smash mouth. And it was the Bucks that opened with a 15-play drive, Joe, with a running game that we, we haven't seen all season. Uh, it was outstanding. Um I thought it was a really, really smart game plan um, to keep the ball out of Carolina's hands. And when you start looking, everybody talked about, well, the the Panthers were missing Cam Newton. Well, the Bucks were, <laughs> they weren't exactly um, swimming in, in healthy talent either. I mean, Gerald McCoy didn't play and, and you know, you got to. Three, uh, three defensive line starters, Joe. Three. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and both starting running backs. So, yeah. man, cry me a river. And you know, Derek An- uh, Anderson had beaten the uh, the Bucks a couple of times. So uh, they had they had every reason the Bucks did not to win that football game, and yet they did. And you know, when Aguayo uh, his his struggles were continuing, and you're going. You know, John Gruden was going off on him on on TV, and I'm sure Bucks fans everywhere were going, "Oh my gosh, this is this is the nightmare come true." And yet, he comes through with the big kick at the end, and it was right down the middle too. There was no doubt. Didn't like carry him in off the goalpost or something like that. So good on them. Um, they're two and zero in division on the road. Yeah, I mean. That's not bad. And if they can now, they go into the uh, to the uh, open date, chance to get healthy, and maybe I'm still thinking that it that they're not a great team, uh, not even close. But that maybe a, a win like that can can get you to that maybe seven win level. Um, I'll tell you what the national pundits are talking about today, though, is uh, what's going on in Carolina, uh, because those guys, they they got issues. Oh, my gosh. Um, What has happened to them, Ira? You know, 15 and one last year. Absolutely. Jim, Jim, that 15 and one record, you know, now they had an Mm -hmm. MVP quarterback. No question about it. Yeah. I'm not taking anything away from Newton. But Jim. That 15-1 record was forged, uh, I would say, primarily 
by an incredible turnover differential that led the league by far. Uh, their takeaways were unbelievable. Their giveaways were minimal. Uh, and now they're minus seven uh, after last night's inept performance. Uh, they've already got 14 giveaways, Jim. In five weeks, they had 19 last year. 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got 14. So, you know, the simple answer is they're very sloppy with the ball, Jim. Very, very sloppy. Newton was turning it over, you know, well, when he was in there. Uh, Ron Rivera is searching for answers. He's a good coach. I wouldn't count him totally out, uh, Jim. But they're, they're three games behind Atlanta after five weeks. Uh, that's a tall order. It is. You're listening to the Sunshine Boys podcast. I'm Jim Williams. And, of course, the Sunshine Boys, Joe Henderson, and you just heard Ira Kaufman right here on Sports Talk Florida and Blog Talk Radio. Uh, Ira and Joe, part of last year's run, and look, I don't, you know, you don't get to 18 and 1 by total luck and through it, but the when you play in the Southern Division, and the teams were not necessarily, you know, lighting it up last time around. You can you can get fat pretty quick. And uh, I think that their schedule this year is a whole different situation. Plus, the teams in the division, certainly the Buccaneers and the Falcons, are improved. So perhaps that has been part of the, um, you know, the equation as to why they haven't gotten off to a good start. Obviously, they have, you know, issues with regard to... You know, not having your MVP player is definitely a, uh, a problem, but I don't think anybody at Carolina thought they were going to get off to this bad a start. You're right. And, and Joe, I still can't believe. Uh, look, we all saw the Falcons week one. Joe, I, I thought they were lousy going into the season. Uh, week one didn't do anything to change my mind. And, uh, you know, here I am burying the Falcons. Joe, they've won four in a row, beating some good teams along the way. Uh, Matt Ryan's having a s- sensational uh, season when people thought he was regressing. Uh, Julio Jones is a monster. They're playing good defense. So like Jim says, uh, I don't think anybody uh, thought uh, any team but Carolina, Joe, could be 4-1 and one, uh, in that division uh, at this stage of the season. I, I got to give hats off to Dan Quinn. I, I know they started 5-0 and last year, Joe. This one has a little bit different feel to it. Well, yeah. I mean, you've got two players on offense, Ryan and uh, Julio Jones, who would be in the conversation right now, who who would probably top the conversation to be uh, MVP. I mean, those they're they're both playing just lights out. Uh, Matt Ryan, uh, pl- arguably playing the best of his career, and uh, when you look at the way they they kind of embarrassed themselves in the opening game against the Bucks, And I, I'm like you, I, I thought that, that they just weren't very good, but you know, Hey, you take a road division win anytime. What they've done since then is just remarkable, but we we left a guy out here in our, in our summation of the Bucks game last night, Jacquees Rogers yeah. comes into the game, 15 touches this season, 15 touches. And um, comes up with uh, he had uh, he'd run the ball 13 times. He ran the ball 10 times last night on the first drive. Right. 
He winds up he winds up running the ball 30 times, gains 100 yards, catches five passes, and now all of a sudden the Bucks are going well. Okay, so Sims is out for the year. That's 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 not good. But in a week, you know, they got the week off. When they come back, there's a, there's a strong likelihood Doug Martin will be ready. Then all of a sudden, now you've got that ground game that can help that can help Jameis Winston find more time. We saw it last night. The Carolina finally had to start doing something uh, to stop Rodgers, and that opened up the passing game. And um, I will say that I think Jameis locks in on um, Mike Evans a bit much. There was the one that that set John Gruden's hair on fire uh, near there in the fourth quarter when when um, Jameis threw into triple coverage trying to get uh, Evans and uh, nearly got the ball picked off. On the other side of the field for uh, maybe a 15-yard gain or something, uh, you had Vincent Jackson over there going, hey, you know, I'm still on this team. Throw it to me. And so Jameis has got to – he needs to work on that a little bit. But they're, they're starting to get some weapons. and. Um, you know, you start getting that D-line healthy again, and um, who knows? We'll see. It's a fun uh, – it's definitely a better morning around one buck place than it could have been. Well, Jacques Rogers, by the way, finished the evening with 101 yards on 30 carries for an average of 3.4 yards per carry as long as it was 13. You know, Jim, speaking of Evans, uh, mm-hmm. Joe's right. I mean, you know, Winston does target him a lot, but – I think he's been the Bucks' best player, Joe, through five games. Mike Evans would would uh, would get my nod. Um, Jim, he dropped a lot of balls last year, even though he had over a thousand yards in receptions. But he didn't score a lot of touchdowns, and he dropped a lot of passes. Uh, he's dedicated himself uh, to get a sharper focus, and the results are obvious, uh, guys. He he's not Antonio Brown or Julio Jones. Uh, but he's getting better, and he's an elite receiver. Uh, he's a Pro Bowl, uh, tough matchup. And, guys, in the biggest play of the game last night, third and seven from the Bucks' 17, minute and a half left. If you don't make it, you got to punt to Carolina in a tie game. He, uh, he caught an 11-yard pass on the right sideline. Um, he's making the plays, Jim, and... He was already a, a very good player, and he's gotten better. So I, I like Mike Evans' dedication. This kid wants to be great, Jim. Well, and I also like – yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I also like that Evans is playing more under control this year. He got a lot of penalties last year for just stupid things. And, and he uh, – you know, they had to they had to really address that with him Um his passion was getting the best of him, and it was, you know, he was he was hurting his team. He's not doing that this year, and that's that's a sign of uh, of maturation. And and I agree with you, Ira. I think he is an elite receiver. He does not have that that kind of just dazzling speed that you that you look for. But he's a big guy. He's tough. Uh, he'll take the hit, and. Uh, you're right. He made the uh, one of the biggest plays of the game last night on that third down catch. What about the defense? Greg Olson had a career night last night for 
Carolina at 181 yards on nine receptions, average 20 yards per per catch. But uh, when it came down to crunch time, they shut him down. You know, um, Olsen, Joe, you talk about elite. Uh, with all due respect to Gronkowski, so I'm not going to compare him to Gronkowski, but I think he's probably the best tight end in the NFC. Um, he's not fast, and um, he's not particularly shifty, but boy, is he smart. They had no answers for him. But, Joe, I'll point this out. Biggest defensive play of the game, Carolina, first and goal from the one, from the one. Anderson mm-hmm. threw that pass, and they finally focused on Greg Olson, and McDougald was behind him, and Grimes was in front of him. And we've heard so much about Grimes' athleticism, Joe, the vertical leap in this, and, and he showed it. He showed it. Um, Grimes hadn't done much, Joe, through the first four games. Uh, since being signed as a free agent, his wife, his wife's made more news than Brent Grimes. You know? <laughs> uh, but that was quite a play yesterday. Quite a play by uh, Grimes. And and Jim, who who was Anderson going to? Greg Olson. Who, there you who, go. Uh, who, he terrorized them all night. But on the biggest play uh, of the game defensively, uh, they had an answer, Joe. Well, and, and here's the thing. Um, they make so much talk about Riverboat Ron Rivera, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he had tough. He had a tough night last night. There was there was that call which was inexplicable, um, and not just because it didn't work. You know, and been, because they had been running the ball well, Joe, at that time. They were. They had been ball. running the ball well, um, and then there in that that final minute or so, minute and a half of that game was bizarre. Because the Bucks are deep in their own territory. They come out running the ball. I'm sitting there going, well, are, are they playing for overtime or what are they doing? And all of a sudden, Rivera's over there calling timeout. And we're going to well, get the ball Joe, back. Joe, you, the ball. Joe, you can't second guess them on that because it was 37. Sure I can. So. <laughs> sure I can. And, you, see uh, that, Jim? you see that classic, uh, that's the right. classic review mirror? Jim? It's, it's, uh, it's well, easy to do that on, on a, the day after the game is played. But yeah, sure. Well, it, it, is, it is easy to do it a, the day after the game. But, you know, you're go, you've got a situation where, you know, the, the Bucks had been moving the football. And they, Jameis Winston is a big play guy. And near Carolina at that point, uh, I'll take my chances in overtime if that's how they want to play it. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the strategy is great if it works. If it doesn't, you get second guest on the Sunshine Boys podcast. That's a very good point, Joe. You're Jimmy, on we're the not, Sunshine we're not, gonna, we're not letting Henderson get away with that, are we, James? Are we letting Henderson get away with that? In the interest of time, yes, we are letting him get away with but, but here's the other thing, guys. Okay, Tampa Bay comes through. You know, we talked about it before. And there's a psychological thing, of first of all, of being, you know, winning, at least getting your second win. And, and thirdly, going into the bye after winning. That really does it, you know, set you up. And then, of course, it seems as if the second part of the season – once you come out of the bye, it sets up pretty well for you. I think you're right, Jim, because they got a three-game uh, homestand after the game at San Fran. Certainly a winnable game against the 49ers. Three-game homestand. Now, Oakland's pretty good. And then they got Atlanta coming in. 
that I believe, Joe, that'll be the night that uh, John Lynch goes in the Ring of Honor, the Thursday mm-hmm. night game. And then I think the, the, the forlorn Bears come to town. And if you can't beat the Bears, Jim, you might as well pack up. Uh, so you're right. The schedule flattens out a little bit. But, Joe, having said that, you got the Aguayo issue, uh, you know, the injuries concerns. Uh, you don't know how much to read into this one win. Joe, it won't mean a thing, Joe, if they go to the San Francisco and lose that game. It won't mean a thing. Well, uh, correct. And it, it is just one win. But they say the NFL is a week-to-week league. In this case, it's a, it's a two-week league because the Bucks get to get healthy and they get to, to do so with a little bit of spring in their step. Um, so uh, the opportunity is there to get better. Do I think that they're a playoff team at this point? Probably not. Um, but you mentioned Aguayo. Kickers are weird, man. And he's liable to go on the, the next game now and kick a 60-yarder because he, cause he's now he's got his, his confidence back a little bit. Um, you know, the bigger question, though, in the, in the national picture is, does this knock Carolina out five weeks into the season? Can we say definitively they're not going to make the playoffs? Can we yes. do that? <laughs> Jim, Jim, I, I, I mean, I just, on them. I, I, I don't see it. I mean, you know, they're not, they're just, they're, they're not playing well. And, and I don't see how you're going to turn it around quickly, even when Cam Newton comes back, as good as Cam Newton is. Could they go on a run and win the division? Well, yeah, I guess. But Atlanta would have to do one of their, um, oh, wait, Atlanta does do that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, turn around and go south for the winter. Um, but it, let's put it this way. They're on life support. They may not necessarily be dead, but they're certainly, certainly on life support. Speaking of life support, um, how about those Miami Dolphins? Um, they can, they can once again, the good news is, you know, the bad news is they lost. The good news is they're closer to another number one draft choice. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, Joe, you've covered... Joe, you've covered a lot of Dolphin games over the years. Uh, when they were relevant, uh, you would go to the Orange Bowl. Uh, Joe, they haven't had a winning record since 08, I believe. Uh, they have not won a playoff game since 2000. Uh, Joe, you know the fans uh, are going to turn if they haven't already. You know about South Florida fans, Joe. You know how fickle they are. You better win. And as far as I'm concerned, the rest of Miami's home games, Joe, uh, are going to feature a half-empty stadium after Stephen Ross poured in uh, $400 million to, to refurbish it to try to get a Super Bowl, which he did. Uh, Joe, there's no juice in, in South Florida uh, towards the Dolphins, nor should there be, Joe. Well, they're not a good football team. <laughs> and, and worse than that, they're a boring football team. And the, the, you know Ira and Jim from being around sports as long as we've, we've all been. When, when things are this bad this long, you don't look at the coach. You don't look at whatever. You look at the top of the organization. Now, we've talked about Stephen Ross on here before. Um, and my, my biggest question would be, 
is you look at at around the league at the great owners, Robert Kraft, uh, the Rooney family, um, right. so on and so forth. What they do <clears throat> is that they put the franchise in the hands of knowledgeable football people and let them run it. And they and they are patient. They don't freak out. They have a game plan. They stick to it. Do you see that happening in Miami? I don't. Uh, they 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 are worse than the craziest roller coaster out there. You know what they are is not going to be fixed overnight. It's not going to be fixed through free agency. Get the best personnel guy you can, and then hunker down with a. You know you're you're going to have to endure some some tough days and more half-empty stadiums. Um, but that's the way it goes. You know, you have to have faith that you're going to find a light at the end of the tunnel. For that, I go back. Ira, Jim, we saw it with your Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they brought in Tony Dungy and uh, and Rich McKay. And they said, okay, we're going to – actually, McKay was there first and kind of started the, the uh, movement away from being a horrible team into – uh, what became a Super Bowl champion? You endure uh, a one and eight start with Tony Dungy because you know you got the right guy, and you have faith in your players, faith in your system. You don't just throw. Well, how many coaches have the Dolphins had? I, I've lost count. An, an incredible <laughs> amount. Since Jimmy, I think you could fill ha the bottom bowl of the stadium with the coaches that they've had. Uh, uh, it's you know maybe uh, it's got to be a dozen since. Uh, that since uh, Shula left, at least. Absolutely. Uh, Joe makes a good point, Jim. You look at the top, uh, you know, Stephen Ross might be a good mm -hmm. businessman. Um, I call him a Trump uh, wannabe uh, a little bit. I, he doesn't know how to win, Jim. He doesn't know how to win. I don't say he doesn't want to win, but he doesn't know how to win. And, Joe, one thing we haven't mentioned in discussing the Dolphins, which is probably issue one, um, what do you do under center? What do you do about Tannehill, who right now looks like uh, a Ryan Fitzpatrick in, in waiting? Every time you get excited about the guy, he, uh, he flubs. He can't win a big game, Joe. Uh, he doesn't inspire any confidence, I don't feel, among his teammates. And having said that, Jim, he doesn't have a lot of weapons around him. It's not all Tannehill's fault, but mm -hmm. Jim, he's a middle-of-the-pack quarterback, and that's what he looks like right now. And that's not what they envisioned when, when they drafted him in the first round. No, not at all. Hey, we got our first major firing, guys, this week, and that was somebody you guys know, Mark Tressman. I know him from college. I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't spoken to him in a while, but um, Tressman got let go by the Ravens. Marty Morningwig is taking his place. Um, an overreach? You know that they, they that was the first game they lost. I know they lost it to the Redskins, but usually that doesn't cause somebody to get fired. Um, That's an unusual move for Ball. Baltimore's a stable organization, Jim. Mm -hmm. They normally don't make a move like that uh, uh, mid-season. I, I, I'm a little surprised because uh, Pressman's got a pretty good reputation as an assistant, not a mm -hmm. very good head coach. But right. uh, Joe Tressman knows. Uh, Pressman knows uh, the, the offensive side of the football. I'm a little surprised the Ravens would make that move. Well, maybe they're trying to channel their inner Buffalo Bills, <laughs> who fired Greg Roman after two games uh, as and offensive coordinator. And, and it, it worked. worked. Uh, so, 
you know, maybe this is the new trend to have a bad game fire your coordinator. But, um, yeah, a little surprised uh, from the Ravens. But they I'll cut them a little slack on this because mm-hmm. they – they do have the track record of being patient and 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 well run, smart, all that mm-hmm. all that good stuff. Um, you could almost argue they they've really overachieved to this mm-hmm. point, um, which does make the firing a little suspect. But the head coach, if he doesn't have confidence in uh, one of his coordinators, you know. It, he's going to cut him off and you know, you're not going to go down with that ship. If you're going to go down, you're going to go down with your guys. And Mm -hmm. evidently there was just something there that wasn't working. uh, And so they, they made the move surprising, but uh, we'll see how it works out. Well, and Marty Morningwig is not necessarily a bad fallback position. Just for the, you make the point. um, Don't you make the point uh, a week or two ago on this podcast that, the Ravens' uh, receiving core is, is very suspect. Thin. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's tough to blame that on Tressman. Uh, right. Well, I, I, I kind of talked about when Joe, when you and Joe talked about the Buccaneers' receiving core not really being a breakaway type receiving group, I had said that the Ravens were pretty much in that same boat, even though they had Mike Wallace. Um, he's not the Mike Wallace who played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And yeah, he's got enough speed to break away, but not necessarily um, on a on a consistent basis. So yeah, and just out of um, irony, the last time the Ravens did fire their offensive coordinator it was a guy by the name of Cam Cameron, and uh, we all know what happened to Cam. Anyway, Cam was fired, and uh, that same time that they the same year that they fired Cam. Um, they went to the Super Bowl, so I don't. I don't know that I would read much into that, but you know, <laughs> irony. Yeah, you know, you never know. Things can happen. Anyway, we're going to step aside on this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host from SportsTalkFlorida.com, and our Sunshine Boys themselves, Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson, right here on the Sunshine Boys podcast, heard on Sports Talk. Florida.com and Blog Talk Radio. We will be right back. We'll step aside for a moment. Welcome back to the Sunshine Boys podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host from SportsTalkFlorida.com and joined by some wonderful columnists that you can read in SportsTalkFlorida.com, the Sunshine Boys themselves, Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson. Gentlemen, before we talk about college football, and there's a lot of good stuff to chat about, let's talk a little bit of baseball. We had some uh, some interesting stuff over the past few days. The playoffs have begun, and um, surprisingly to some, Big Poppy and the Boston Red Sox uh, got swept by uh, Terry Francona and a surprisingly solid Cleveland Indians team. Nobody was talking about the Indians, Joe, going into the AL playoffs. It, it was all about Boston. Um, look, it was an incredible day um, of baseball, uh, but the image that sticks with me, Joe, is, uh, is David Ortiz doffing his, uh, his cap to the Boston fans. Um, 
that's a guy who just he kept getting better, Joe. Kept getting better. I mean, what what a final season. Incredible. Um it seems like every hit that guy got is, is a big hit. Um I think he's a Hall of Famer, Joe. I don't vote. Uh I don't know if you're still voting in the Hall of Fame, but I would have very little trouble uh writing in the name David Ortiz. Yeah, um well I have voted in the Hall of Fame and and for the record I gave it I gave up my ballot uh this year. Um I won't go into a lo- lot of reasons why, but I have great respect for the voters and the hall. And um so here's here's the thing about Big Poppy. Easy pick for the hall uh, when his time comes up. Easy pick. You know, I I sit there in the past when I voted and you know I think I'm like a lot of guys who, a lot of people who vote for that. I, I take it seriously. And Ira, I know you do uh, the same for the NFL. You know, it's a responsibility when you have a ballot for something uh, as prestigious as the Hall of Fame. Having said that, I would spend about one and a half seconds debating the, uh, you know, the qualifications of Big Poppy to be in the Hall. And it would, that's about how long it would take me to reach for my pen and, uh, check the box by his name uh, to put him in. Great career, great ambassador for the game. I know there were a lot of rumors about him and uh, PED use, but arguably he goes in uh, to the pantheon of most popular athletes in Boston ever, and that's not an easy quite, group quite to a crack. Right, that's right. I, I think I think he's there, and uh, you know, great career. But hey. Let's give it up for uh, Terry Francona and Cleveland. I mean, this guy, he never gets rattled, never uh, lets his team get rattled. And all they do is they just go about their business. They win the games they need to win the, this year. And they're, they're as legitimate as anybody. Um, you know, right now to, to win this thing, uh, to win all of it. And I've been kidding a lot of my Cleveland friends uh, because they're still giddy over the Cavaliers last year. And now, now you've got the, the Indians um, almost to the doorstep of, of being back in the world series or winning the world series. And I'm telling them, you know, enjoy the ride, but remember the Browns are there to keep you grounded. Just, <laughs> just, just so, just so they're clear. Well, but, Jake uh, will be rocking. There's no doubt about it. And I got to tell you, I, I, you know, Baltimore didn't stick a stake in the heart of the Toronto Blue Jays. And once again, Batista and the boys are, uh, they're in the playoffs in the ALCS. And, and that's, I think, a Toronto-Cleveland ALCS is going to be really fun to watch. And, uh, it, you know, Joe, the guy that always gets squeezed out a little bit, I think, is Donaldson. The guy's fabulous. fabulous. Oh yeah. Uh, what what a what a pickup for the for the Jays. Uh, I think he's the heart and soul of that team, Joe. Uh, more than uh, more than Encarnacion and Bautista and uh, and Tulowitzki. I think it's Donaldson that that is the heartbeat uh, of that team. Their pitching, Joe, has surprised me a little bit. Especially their bullpen, um, supposed to be the Achilles' heel. But you know what? Uh, Gibbons is doing a nice job right now, Joe. They're dangerous. 
Oh, well, absolutely are. And uh, pick your poison in that lineup. I mean, <laughs> you know, we saw them a lot of times uh, uh, when they played the Rays this year. And it's just uh, – and the Rays actually had a little bit of success against them. But it seems like everybody that comes up in that lineup, you're going, oh, no, not him. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they are <laughs> – you know, you go to sleep on them, and they're going to put up a six spot on you, like before you know what happened. So, great. What I would say is that all the focus is going to be, especially if the Cubs break through, all the focus is going to be on the Cubs, right? Can the Cubs do it? Can the Cubs do it? But uh, from a baseball standpoint, just if you're a baseball purist, the Cleveland Toronto is a great series, and, uh, you know, Get your popcorn. Uh, this, this is going to be a lot of fun. I've enjoyed the um, the Nationals and um, and the Dodgers. I think that's been a lot of fun to watch. Um, uh, Nationals are impressive, uh, uh, Jim. They uh, they're playing with a lot of passion. You know, Jason Worth uh, wears his emotions on on his sleeve. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're playing well. They're out playing the Dodgers. That's no small feat. Um, they lost game one in, in a toughie. Yeah. Uh, probably thought probably thought they should have won that game, Jim. And uh, and then they've taken away the momentum from the Dodgers. And uh, so while all that is happening, uh, my Giants are staying alive, at least uh, for the length of this uh, podcast, gentlemen, uh, with a riveting uh, five-hour victory, uh, Jim, in game three after right. – uh, Bumgarner gave up a three-run homer to Arietta. Looked like it was over because the Giants don't have much of a lineup. Uh, you fall behind Arietta three-zip, Joe. That's a long night. Um, and, of course, the bullpen blew it again in the ninth, Joe. Romo gives yeah. up a two-run homer to Bryant. Uh, I can't feel very comfortable about the Giants uh, with a ninth-inning lead. I can't. But you know what? They uh, they tattooed Araldus Chapman, Joe. Mm-hmm. Two left-handed batters, not easy, on those 102-mile-an-hour fastballs. And uh, and then the Giants win it in the 13th. Uh, that's a gritty bunch I've got out there at uh, AT&T Park, uh, Mr. Henderson. You know, ten, the, other, ten the other part straight. of that, yeah, 10 straight elimination games. But last night, um, something you really don't see often in, in a single game, let alone, you know, by one team, the Giants went out. And got three, you know, balls hit into triples alley out there in center field where all that wildness is where the ball goes, you know, where all of a sudden you take a left and you go cracking into center field, into the wall. Um, they were bouncing Joe, the I'm ball amazed, all up. Uh, crazy up there. I'm amazed Posey could score from first base uh, on a triple after uh, <laughs> some of the shenanigans I've seen from him. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, everybody's, you know, going to point to to the – Correctly so to the uh, to the Giants, uh, you know, ten straight wins in elimination games. That that's ridiculous, and it faces the supreme challenge here because uh, they got to beat this Chicago Cubs team, 103 wins in the regular season. Got to beat them three straight times, and. If they do, I will tip my cap to them and, and genuflect at the Bruce Bochy altar, but I don't think it's going to happen. I I just cannot see 
the Chicago Cubs, Billy Goat, curse and all, you know, stipulated. But I cannot see this bunch losing three in a row. Uh, it was a great win last night for the Giants. Kudos to them. Uh, Ira, you mentioned uh, coming back against Araldus Chapman. I can tell you from watching him a lot with the Reds, he is occasionally prone to spit the bit in big situations. You know, he's got the obviously the monster fastball, but major leaguers can hit a fastball, even even of his variety. And when they do, it's going to go a long way. And if he if he doesn't have it, if he's not hitting his spots, uh, he can be in trouble. So, you know, good on good on the Giants. Uh, well done, but. You're, you're going to have to prove it to me. I got to say, and I know it's obvious, if they don't win today, they don't, they're don't. they gone. But um, <laughs> if they can win today at AT&T Park, you know, I think they got a puncher's chance. It is the uh, Giants. Well, then it, it would be Cueto. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, again with Lester, which was a yeah. classic, an absolute yeah. classic. Uh, and, Joe, the pressure would be on the Cubs in, in a game five. but. You know, look, it's a tall order. Joe, they did it to your Reds in, in 2012, but this Cub team's better than that that Reds team, Joe. Better. Oh, no, no, no question about it. And the X factor, which people should take into account, is that uh, when you've got Joe Madden sitting in the uh, in the Cubs dugout, he's not going to let the Billy Goat curse or any other Cubs crap get to him. He is going to keep the ship afloat. And I, uh, that's why I think it's still a mountain for the uh, giants to climb. Nationals well, look good, Jim. I'm still, rooting, good right I'm still rooting for my nationals. I was down there Saturday and it rained. And then I went back on Sunday and um, it was, it was a lot of fun. And yesterday was a fun game to watch and um, we'll see how, how they do this afternoon. But um Without Steven Strasburg, there, you know, it'll. I think it'll be Joe Ross and everybody else um, that they that they need from the bullpen. So far, I guess the most amazing thing is in the three games that they've played, the bullpen has pitched twelve innings and hasn't given up a run. So um, I don't know how long you can keep riding that train, but um, I would. Um, I would like to see Joe Ross go more than uh, a few, um, you know, a few innings. I'd like to see if, if Joe could perhaps maybe knock down six or seven at least to get him to the pen a little bit later. Yeah, I want uh, Jim. One thing I want to say about the Dodgers, the hated Dodgers, Joe. Um, I got to, I got to give it up for one guy. I, I think this guy, this guy is going to be a, a, an eight-time All-Star before he hangs it up and he's just starting out. Uh, this kid shortstop is fabulous. Uh, Corey Sager, uh, yeah. you know, he was a big time prospect. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of big time prospects, Joe, they don't make it. They fizzle. Uh, this kid is, is tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Uh, he's one of the few Dodgers that are showing up right now, Jim, uh, against yep. the Nationals. And um, the kid's going to do nothing but get better, Joe. I just... Uh, I'm very, very impressed with the, with this kid Sager. He's great. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, he is. And and I'll say this about the Dodgers. Um, Andrew Friedman, we saw the work he did here in Tampa with the Rays. And he is all about 
he was the first his first order of business with the Rays was to change the culture. And Joe Madden was a was a big part of that. Uh Friedman was the one who hired him. And so you go to Los Angeles, you say it's a different situation. Obviously you have unlimited resources and you and you can do whatever you want as far as that goes. But it still comes down to a culture thing. And the culture in LA is is arguably going to be tougher to change than it was in Tampa. And by that I mean there's something about that Dodgers team and they've shown it every year uh, continually for a long time now is that Whatever that inner thing is that gets you over the top, they don't have it. And uh, I'm not surprised the Nationals are beating them. Um, I would be very surprised if the Dodgers came back and won, uh, but maybe I'm wrong. But they, there's something missing. And my guess is if the, if the Nationals go ahead and knock uh, the Dodgers out, Andrew Friedman is going to be a very busy man in this offseason trying to get the kind of players in um, that can can spit in the eye of adversity. This Dodgers team does not do that. No, and you got Stan Kasten, too. I think, you know, Stan, uh, I've always, Stan's a great guy. I like him as a person, uh, and I like him as a baseball guy. He He went out and got Andrew Friedman. And said, you know, gave Andrew, you know, full uh, opportunity. And, and for all intents and purposes, it was Andrew who, you know, decided that Donnie Baseball wasn't his, you know, wasn't going to get it and gave Dave Roberts the chance. So, you know. They, uh, they've got four straight division titles, Jim, but as mm-hmm. of now, they yeah. got very little to show for it, Jim. Very little. Well, it's very kind little. of like, you know, talking about casting, it's kind of like the Braves. I mean, the Braves went, what, 14 years in the playoffs and only won World Series? That, that's a great analogy. And, Ira, you just said it. They've won four straight division titles, right? That's right. And and yet, who is the tougher out in postseason? It's your Giants. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and they're the one that strikes fear into everybody because, I mean, again, most often than not, they come from the wild card. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. And just to quote somebody that I respect a great deal, not for nothing, let's take a quick spin around college football. And um, this past weekend, it was, um, Ira, you talked about the Orange Bowl. It was excitement in the Orange Bowl. And um, FSU went down to take on the Hurricanes. And unfortunately... The Hurricanes came up a point short at the end. Big missed opportunity, Jim. Big one. What what a great game, first of all. Mm-hmm. Great game. Uh, very chippy game, you know, to be expected. Uh, and, Joe, I just thought UM had a chance, you know, to move up to number eight, number seven, uh, end that hex against Florida State. They did a lot of things right. Uh, harassed the quarterback pretty well all evening, but Joe, at the end, they, they couldn't execute a, a simple extra point, and uh, Florida State prevails. Give Jimbo credit, Joe. They had every reason to go in there and lay down against Miami, uh, but 
that's not an FSU's uh, DNA, Joe, and uh, a very tough loss for UM. Well, and, and especially considering that UM at halftime had to feel they were in control of that game. And um saw an interview that I remember watching the interview with uh, Jimbo Fisher as, as he was coming off the field at halftime. Mm-hmm. And contrast that to what we saw maybe from him a couple of other times in recent weeks. He was totally in control. He's like, we're in good shape. We got this. Don't worry about it. And turned out they did. They made the big play. They got the uh, uh, the extra point block and you know, probably saved their season. Um, um, but I don't think that's a lethal blow to Miami. Mark Rick mm-hmm. is doing it the right way. And um, sure, they're disappointed, but nothing to hang their heads at uh, after that game. Now, the one thing that surprised me about uh, Jimbo was you could actually hear him. He had a voice at halftime. <laughs> That's a great point. I was like, wait a minute, Jimbo, you, there's no scraping of the voice. You can barely, it's like he doesn't have laryngitis. He, he hasn't screamed his head off. He must, you know, he must be in a comfortable stead. But, you know, it's uh, talk about out of the frying pan into the fire. Miami hosts Clemson yeah. on ABC this <laughs> week. And you want to hear Stop me if you've heard this before in the sandbagging <laughs> thing, guys. Dabo Sweeney at his press conference yesterday says he isn't about to overlook Brad Kaya because Brad Kaya is the best quarterback he's seen this year. Oh, well, now, apparently he missed the game that he won against <laughs> against right. Louisville. But uh, and no, and look, no disrespect meant to Brad Kaya, but seriously, Dabo, really, okay. Well, uh, uh, hold on, Jim. I think I think you're getting a week ahead of yourself. Miami Oops. plays North Carolina this week. Yeah, but and... if they did play Clemson this week, that would really be amazing. <laughs> Clemson, uh, North Carolina's not bad, Joe. Carolina North Carolina's not bad. They really spit the bit last week uh, when uh, they had everything going for them and uh, and got upset by I think it was Virginia Tech. And so that's not that's that was a bad loss for Miami or for North Carolina, excuse me. And not only that, they got beat, they got pummeled, thirty-four-three. Didn't show up uh, at think, home. Um, you think there could be any fallout, Joe, where uh, UM is still um, trying to get over uh, last week's loss? You think that could be a factor? Normally, I would say yes, um, but I, I, again, I'm I'm a big Mark Rick believer. And, you know, nobody is going to be better than him at getting a team to, to turn the page. And, you know, when you say, does, does Miami have a hangover? How about North Carolina? Uh, you get smacked that way and now you got to go to Miami. Um, now, uh, you know, the, that's not the intimidating uh, home field that it used to be when they uh, were filling up the Orange Bowl down there, but it's still a road game against a, a you know a top 25 team. So tough hill for uh, North Carolina. Uh, I look for Miami to win that game. We'll talk a little bit more later in the week about the rest of the games, but guys, I just want to get your. We talked about this guy. Uh, I think last week, but. The Brian Kelly saga is driving me nuts in Notre Dame. 
And that is, they lose a game in a hurricane to North Carolina State. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to North Carolina State, to that stadium and that routine. It's, it, 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 on a good day, it's like playing in a cranberry bog. But uh, they played in that game. Notre Dame lost. And I... <sighs> I was expecting Brian Kelly to come into the room and blame the equipment manager. But fortunately, the equipment manager was spared. In the first time I've ever in – I've covered college football almost 40 years now. This is the first time I've ever heard a coach blame the loss not only on the actual center but also on the long snapper. And it's like, Really? Not just the center, but the long snapper. You blame both the centers for losing the game. Yeah, that's... He's driving me nuts. Well, he's he's driving himself to the unemployment line. Uh, And that's that's the uh, the net effect of this. uh, Paul Feinbaum, who I I, I think Paul Feinbaum is terrific. And... He has uh, called out Brian Kelly, called him a miserable human being. And Brian Kelly is pointing fingers everywhere. And, you know, the buck stops with you, big guy. You're the head coach. So um, uh, bad on him. And and if I'm the Notre Dame people, I think Brian Kelly's a, a can coach. He mm. He's in a lot of ways resurrected. Uh, a Notre Dame program that is still living on Rudy lore. And, you know, so, so good on him for that. But if I'm the athletic director and, and the, uh, and the officials at Notre Dame, I'm calling him in and saying, dude, are you all right? There's, are, is, is there something going on in your life we need to know about? Cause it's embarrassing to that university completely. Do we have time for one quick story about Lou Holtz? All right. Lou Holtz, um, who was the last truly successful coach at Notre Dame. Um, And, of course, he got ran out of town because, you know, he brought in athletes that were, quote, unquote, not Notre Dame caliber people. So anyway, when he was going there to get the job, the last thing that Dr. um, The late Father Hesburgh, who was the president of Notre Dame takes Lou up to, he says, now, Lou, you get a burial plot for you and your family right here at the, on campus at the, at the, at the uh, memorial gardens here. And he says, and he takes him up and he shows him the, you know, he says, look, you look down over the campus, you can see the football stadium, you can see all of the gorgeous uh, trees in the entire campus and deadpan Lou always looks at him and he goes, you know, Father? He goes, there's one small thing. He goes, what's that? He goes, you got to be sitting up to see it. So <laughs> now, that's, that's Lou. That's and outstanding. They that's got rid of Lou, but they got Brian Kelly. So, all right, guys, you want your guy. You got your guy. Get out of my way, you know. Um, I'm not sure uh, I'm not sure Kelly's going to get that double plot, Joe. Uh, if he keeps this up. Uh, they may they put him in it before it's time. <laughs> uh, you got to wonder what the board of trustees are, are thinking uh, in, in South Bend, Jim. I mean, 
when when are they going to be relevant uh, in, in terms of being a national power? It, it can't be sitting well. With, Ira, with they're still paying off Charlie Weiss's contract. Yeah, that was that was a bit of uh, contractual genius there, wasn't it? <laughs> well, what, um, Ty, Ty Whittingham had it, what seven games before? I mean, it was like it was yeah. it was there and gone, boys. Okay, well, well I've gotten... are, are, college football fans in general are not noted for patience. I understand right. that, but uh, this is not a Les Miles type no. situation. No. This is yeah, this is there's something going on here that starting to really embarrass the university far beyond wins and losses and they've got to deal with it well we'll leave that as uh, our last thing and i i apologize for pulling notre dame into this but yeah where did that come from <laughs> well i just i saw the press conference and i'm like it's three weeks in a row he blamed the loss on something that he had nothing i mean it wasn't him you know and it's like no, he, he... Joe, he just wanted to get in that Lou Holtz story. That that that's what it was. That, about. That's it. That's what it is. Yeah, I go, okay. I went I went round Robin's barn to get Lou Holtz in here. Uh, so anyway, right. fair enough. And and we will talk about the, all the good stuff that's going to be coming up in college football on the next edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast because I took us far afield and I apologize for that. So anyway, Jim Williams, you're inept host on the Punch the Sunshine Boys <laughs> podcast. Here on SportsTalkFlorida.com, where there's probably nine Notre Dame um, alumni in the Tampa Bay area. But anyway, uh, Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson, guys, final thoughts. Give it to Mr. Henderson first. Final thoughts on this week and what you're looking forward to coming up. Well, I will not be paying much attention to Notre Dame, um, but I, but I will be. I will be watching uh, with great interest uh, Alabama and Tennessee. Tennessee lost the other day at Texas A&M. We'll talk more about this later in the week. But that's one of the best college football games I've ever seen, uh, certainly this year. And um, they're they're playing Alabama. Uh, You always want to stop and watch on that one. So that's what I'll be paying attention to. Ira, what's up for you? I'm going to go back one more a Monday night in Charlotte while the rest of the state of North Carolina was uh, dealing with the aftermath of a historic hurricane with, with unbelievable flooding all over North Carolina. Uh, the Bucks went in there, took care of business, and Jim, for whatever reason, and I know it's only a one-game difference, two and three feels a heck of a lot better than one and four going into a bye week. The Bucks may have just saved their 2016 season. Jim. That's that's a very good point, Ira. And um, let's get your social media in while we got you there, bud. Uh, Twitter, uh, Jim at i Kaufman seventy six, and uh, look forward to our podcast later in the week, Jim. Yeah, me too. And Mr. Henderson, where can we find you? Uh, at the initial J Henderson. Tampa, T-A-M-P-A. And plug your column, please. Oh, yes. Uh, We are uh, just wrote one for Sports Talk Florida on the Florida Gators and LSU situation, which is uh, turning into quite a conspiracy theory. And I'm Jim Williams. I'm your host. I will be 
watching baseball the rest of the week and seeing if uh, Ira's going to come up and visit me uh, to watch the uh, the a, the National League Championship Series between the, the uh, Nationals and the Giants. It could happen. Don't be surprised. Well, anyway, even though bells are ringing, we must leave. And uh, the Sunshine Boys podcast with Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson. I'm Jim Williams. I hope you've enjoyed it. We'll catch you next time and enjoy the baseball playoffs. It's going to be a lot of fun.